Lord, be with us this morning. Go with the preaching of your word. May your spirit infiltrate all of our hearts this morning and wield the sword of the text this morning that is before us. Would you, would you carve away, spirit, calluses on our heart and hardness on our heart? Would you penetrate our soul where we need our soul to be penetrated, Lord? And then would you, would you come in and would you apply the ointment of the gospel where you have exposed our sin? Thank you for this, the worship that we have had this morning. I pray that, uh, that it was a, a joyful noise to your ears, Lord. Be with us this morning. Would you get me out of the way and, and preach your message to your people this morning? It is in mighty name of Christ that we pray these things. Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be in verses 10 through 15 this morning. And then I think we need to go to verse 17 for a little bit, just for a minute at the very end. Because I, I feel like verses 16 and 17 are kind of connected to the text above, but we, we kind of grouped it with the text after, so we're going to just, we're going to go to verse 17 just for a moment uh, at the end this morning, and then next week, we're going to roll back to verse 16. So I'm going to read the text, starting in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 3. It says this, according to to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If, any, any, if the work anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That's God's word. So I want to recap where we've been in 1 Corinthians so far really quickly because it's, Paul is continuing his thought here. He's continuing to talk about what he has already laid forth already. The Corinthian church, has they've begun to bring some worldly wisdom in on top of the foundation that Paul has already laid. They're, they, they're, they've, they, the worldly wisdom that they've brought into the church has begun to cause divisions among them. And Paul is saying in our text today, he's, he's saying that I laid a foundation and, and now you guys aren't using the same materials to build on that foundation. You guys are using inferior materials to build on the foundation. 
So Scotty, what he preached last week was, was a metaphor. It was an agricultural metaphor, right? Uh, he said uh, back in, I think, verse 5, it was right. Paul planted. He's the one who went to Corinth on a missionary journey. He planted the church there. He was there for 18 months, right? We're going to go back and look at Acts 18 in a minute. Okay, he was there for 18 months. And then Apollos watered. Apollos came in behind Paul, and he was there for several years, right? So, so we know, and Paul, Paul planted and Apollos watered, right? And, and we know that it's an agricultural metaphor because if you look at verse 9, it says, you are God's field. So Paul is talking to the church, and he's saying, hey, you're God's garden. You're God's garden. But we're going to transition from an agricultural metaphor to an architectural metaphor. And we see that at the end of verse 9. He says, he says you are God's field, but then he changes. He says, you are God's building. Right? So, so verse 9 is the transition verse to from agriculture to now architecture. So, I have three main sections of the text. The first section is going to be verses 10 and 11. And I've labeled this section two builders and a foundation. The second set of text is going to be verses 12 and 13. And I've labeled this section the materials and then the inspection of those materials. The materials and the inspection. Okay? So what are we building? What are, you, what are you building with? And now we're going to inspect those materials. And then verses 14 through 15, and then verse 17, Paul gives the results of said inspection. So those are our three sections. Let's start in verse 10. First, first part of verse 10. It says this. According to the grace of God given to me. Friends, the, the wages of sin is death. And Paul is no different. Paul is a sinner just like you and I are sinners. And Paul recognizes that everything that has happened in his life is grace. He recognizes that, that even before he was a Christian, the fact that God did not smite him dead while he was persecuting Christians, that's God's grace. And then God came in and saved him, right? The fact that Paul was even alive to be on this missionary journey and plant this church, it's all grace. It's nothing of Paul. He recognizes this. The fact that Paul is not still persecuting Christians. That's God's grace. Sola gratia. Grace alone. Paul recognizes he hasn't done anything but sin. Right? The fact that Paul is still alive right now and he's able to write these letters and shepherd this church through these letters, that's grace. That's grace alone. Paul loves the word grace. He loves it. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. It says this. 
For I am the, am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, any of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, by recognizing that grace is preeminent in his life, that motivated him to do work. The grace of God that has been shown to us, that should motivate us to go and do work for the Lord, to build on the foundation of Christ. Grace is a motivating thing. It's not a, oh, I'm, I'm saved by grace, so I'm just going to sit here and stew in my grace. No, grace is a motivation to action. Paul worked harder than any of other, the other apostles. Why? Because his conversion was, he got punched in the mouth by Jesus. Right? He knows Grace. He uses the word, the Greek word charis, grace, almost 90 times in his writings in the New Testament. He loves, he loves the word grace. Christian, we should love the word grace. We sang about it in the second song. Beautiful. Apart from grace, you and I would still be dead in our sin. Apart from grace, we would still be an enemy of God. Apart from grace we would still be on the wide path that leads to destruction. All of us would, apart from the grace of God. And it's not just our salvation that is by grace. We're motivated by grace, but any work that we do in the name of Jesus and for the kingdom of God, those works, they're all by grace too. It's all by grace. And Paul recognizes that. Nothing that he has done was of himself it was all of the grace of God according to the grace given to me. Look at, the, look at the next section, next part of verse 10. He says, Paul says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. See, the, the New American Standard and the NIV, they both, they both translate the word skilled it's the, it's the Greek word sophos, and it's, it's trans, it can also be translated as wise. Right? They, the New American Standard and NIV, they, tra they translate it as wise. And I think that that's a good translation because what Paul is saying is he's saying, I had God, when I, when I laid this foundation, I had a godly wisdom, and he's juxtaposing that godly wisdom with the worldly wisdom that the Corinthians have now brought into the church. Right? He's, he's saying, hey, the wisdom that I had when I laid this foundation is not the same wisdom that you guys are using now to build on that foundation. It's different. I love this. The word, the, the phrase master builder, in the Greek it is, it's architecton. So what Paul is literally saying is he's saying, I was a wise architect. Like a wise architect, I laid this foundation. So I want to I ask this question. What is it that made Paul a wise architect? 
We're going to go to we're going to go back to Acts 18. I got four reasons why Paul is a wise architect. Number 1, he knew you couldn't build a house without a solid foundation. That's what he knew, right? If you're a builder in here, any I know we have several builders that that that, that go here, right? You know that it doesn't matter what you build with, what the walls are made of, or the roof is made of, or the ceiling is made of, or the basement is made of. It doesn't matter if you have a trash foundation. As a wise builder, Paul knew he needed a good foundation. Second reason he was a wise builder. He knew what the materials were to build that foundation. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word and testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So there are your building materials right there. That's the, that's the materials he used to lay the foundation. He used the word and he used the gospel. Those are the two things that he used to lay this good foundation. So now, now we're going to see in a, minute, in, in a few minutes what are they using to build on that foundation? And are those things equal quality to the word and the gospel? Right? If you, if you look at our distinctives out here in the foyer or atrium, what do we call it? We can never remember what this thing is out here. Right? Bible-based, gospel-centered. Why is that? That's what Paul used to lay the foundation. That's all we have. That's what we have. We have the word and we have the gospel. And we are never going to abandon those things. That's what a wise, that's what a wise master builder uses. The word and the gospel. Third reason. He was confident and bold in the Lord in using those materials. He was confident and bold in the Lord in using those materials. Look at, look at Acts 18, verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city who are mine. Paul believed what God said, and he, was, he took those materials, word and gospel, and he took them and he was bold and he was confident, bless you, in the Lord. He was bold and confident in the Lord using those materials. Nothing dissuaded Paul away from using the word and the gospel to lay this foundation. Fourth reason. He taught others how to use those materials as well. We always say here for our legacy piece, a mature organism can always multiply itself. Right? That's what Paul did. That's why he stayed there 18 months. He was, Acts 18, verse 11. He stayed a year and six months doing what? Teaching the word of God among them. He trained up people. He, he knew the materials to use to lay a good foundation, and he raised up and trained people to build on that foundation. But what has happened? They've turned away from those good materials, and they've brought in worldly 
wisdom now. There's a second builder. So Paul's the first builder. There's a second builder. Look what he says in verse 10. Back in 1 Corinthians, sorry. He says, And now someone else is building upon my foundation. Someone else is now building. Who's he talking about? Who's this this second builder that's now building on the foundation of Paul? It's the church leaders in Corinth. It's 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 the pastors. It's the preachers. The people that Paul trained up and raised up with those good materials, they're now building on Paul's foundation. He's, he's, he's not just addressing them for no reason. He's, he's giving them a warning. Look at, look at the end of verse 10. He says, he says something very pointed to them. Take care how you build upon the foundation. Here, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, man, I came I spent 18 months with you. I preached the word. I taught you the word. I preached the gospel. I laid a foundation. And now you've turned away from that. You've brought something foreign into the church now. You're not being careful to build properly with the materials that I gave you to build with. You're not doing it. You're not being careful to build. You're doing your own thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. Right, so they started off so well. Scotty mentioned it last week. They had solid teaching, Paul and then Apollos. They had solid teaching. They started off so well. But then at some point, they just thought that they were too smart for the Bible. They thought they were too wise in their own eyes for the gospel. They thought they had graduated from God's word. That's a problem. He warns the, Paul warns the Galatian church, hey, you started by the Spirit, and now you think you're going to perfect it by the flesh? If something is started with the gospel and started with the word and the Holy Spirit, why would we want to take worldly things and build those on top of that? It doesn't work. Paul's telling them it doesn't work. And I want to make a point here, too. No one ever graduates from, the God, from God's word. No one ever does. I, I, challenge, I challenge you to go find a seasoned Christian that has been studying God's word for 30, 40, 50 years. Ask them. Hey, at what point in time did you, uh, did you move on from the Bible? <laughs> at what point in time did you just kind of move on from the gospel? They'll, they'll look you in the face and they'll be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? God's word is inerrant. That means it has no errors. God's word is infallible, which means if you do what it says, it will never fail you. God's word is all sufficient. It's all we need. Second, Second Peter chapter 1, we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. The, the word is what we need. We can't abandon the word. This church, they believe that they have graduated 
from God's word. That in their philosophizing and their worldly wisdom, they have now figured out something that is not in the word, but better than the word. That's, what, that's what's happening. So you have two builders. Paul, who was the first builder, and these church leaders who were left as the second builder. And then there's the foundation. Look at verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. I want, I'm, I want to be very, because we kind of chopped up verse 10, but I want, I want, to, I want to encapsulate Paul's thinking here, if I, if I can. I hope I can word this well. Lord, help me. Okay? I'm sweating like a champ up here. <laughs> I feel like Scotty. <laughs> What Paul is saying to this church is he's saying by you not using the building materials that I use to lay the foundation, what you're actually doing is you're not actually helping the building get built. What you're actually doing is you're laying a second foundation. You're laying a totally different foundation. You're, you're, by you adding to the word your worldly wisdom, by you adding to the gospel your worldly wisdom, what you're doing is, I don't know, you're doing your own thing. You're not doing what I told you to do. You've completely gone and done your own thing. Ultimately, this is, ultimately what he's telling them is if you continue to do this, what you're doing, and you don't repent of your worldly wisdom, you're going to become a cult. They're already acting cultish. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Paul. They're already acting like a cult. They're already picking sides. If you continue going on with this worldly wisdom, you're going to, be, you're going to have four or five cults started from it. That's why, that's why Scotty hit it so hard last week. Of We're not going to be a church of a cult of personality. We're not going to do that here. We cannot. Paul, again, to the church in Galatia, he says in chapter 1 of Galatians, he says, if you're, t if you're preaching a gospel that is not the gospel that I preach to you, it's not the gospel. It's a different thing altogether. What he's telling the Corinthians is, you're going and doing something else that's not Christianity if you continue to add worldly wisdom into the, to the gospel and to the word. That's, that's severe. You've started using crappy materials to build on the foundation, Corinthians. You've started using materials that cannot stand You've gone away from the world, from the godly wisdom of Christ crucified, and you've gone to, we've got it all figured out now. We don't need Christ crucified. We're just going to bloviate in our own, you know, studies, smoking a pipe or whatever, and pontificating whatever, right? You, you started using materials that are not worthy to build on the foundation. There's... We see it. Verse 11. What is the foundation? Jesus Christ. If a church 
is building on anything other than God became flesh and walked among his creation. And he lived a perfect life that we would never be able to, perfectly fulfilling the law of God and dying a sacrificial death for you, for me. Rising on the third day, conquering death on our behalf for us. If we're building on anything other than that, you're not building with something that's worthy to be built on the foundation. We're not. I love, I love Paul's use. See, what, what Paul is really saying here is, actually, Christ is the foundation, but guess what? Christ is also the walls, and he's also the ceiling, and he's also the basement. He's all of it. Christ is all of it. Because we can't, those things, we can't build walls and ceilings without Christ. And, and one of Paul's other favorite phrases that he uses in his letters is, in Christ. We are in Christ. The church is in Christ. And so therefore, you might be a wall in Christ. You might be a ceiling in Christ. You might be a basement in Christ. If you go down to verses 16 and 17, what's the ultimate building that's being built here? The church. It's the temple. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, says this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, that is in Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's what the church is. The church is a building that is built on Christ, and we are that building. We're it. So we have two builders, and then we have the foundation. Section number two, we're going to look at the building materials, and then we're going to look at the inspection of those materials. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... So what are, these, what are these goods? What are these materials? Well, there are two sets of them, right? There are two sets of three materials. The, the first set is, is materials that are not combustible. They can, they can, they're, they, they're solid, right? And the second set, and you can light those things on fire and they're gone. So what, so what, is they, what do they represent? Well, gold Silver, precious stones, that's, that's God's word. That, that's, that's God's word, but, but that's, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, the, that's the thing that is going to stand. Right? Bible-based, gospel-centered, 
That's who we are as a church. Isaiah 48 says this, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What Paul is saying is he's saying, build with the thing that's going to last forever. That's God's word. That's what we need to be building with. Build with what is going to stand the test over time. And ultimately, it's going to be a fiery test. We're going to see that in a few minutes. We need to be building with something that will last. All these ideas and these worldly wisdoms, those things are fading away. It just says it in, right, the grass withers. The flower fades. Our ideas, our wisdom, our ideologies, those things are going to burn. We want to build with what stands the test. When we start adding our own philosophies and our own wisdom to God's word and to the gospel, we're going to go off track fast, very fast. So what is wood, hay, straw? Those are the materials that the Corinthian leaders are now building with. It's worldly wisdom. And those things are going to burn. This wisdom that they've brought into the church, it's divided them. It doesn't, the gospel is what unifies. The gospel is the only thing that can unify truthfully. Wood, hay, straw? Let me, let me give you a few examples. Let's, let's talk about whether these things unify right here. Band versus an organ. We have a band. Right? Some, people, some people are probably Presbyterian in here. They probably prefer an organ and nothing else. Does that unify? I can't unify. What about uh, having like a really fancy baptismal versus having a horse trough? <laughs> right? That going to unify? That's worldly things. What about, hey, let's have an egg hunt. I can't believe you had an egg hunt. Right? I can't. Can't wait to see my little kid dress up for Halloween this year. You let your kid dress up for Halloween, you pagan, right? These things don't unify. These worldly things cannot unify. Republican, Democrat, anti-vax, give me all the vax. I don't know, right? These things don't, these things don't unify. They cannot. Worldly ideologies and worldly wisdom cannot unify. The only thing that can unify is the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word. That's it. You know what all those things that I just listed are? All those things are distractions. That's ultimately what the Corinthian church has allowed to happen. They've gotten distracted from what really, really matters. They've been distracted. They've allowed things outside of the church to draw their attention away from preaching the whole counsel of God and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's happened. So, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Into verse 11. No, am I right there? Verse 11. No. 12, into verse 12. Nope, verse 13. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to see the inspection. Their works 
are now going to get the inspector to come in. You know if you build houses or you build anything, you got to have 47,000 inspections of all kind of X, Y, and Z, and four feet from this, and three, 36 inches from that, and <laughs> we're going to see an inspection. 13, first half of the verse, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. So this process, this inspection process, there's two, there are two steps to it. It's a two-step inspection process. The first inspe- part of the inspection process is your works, the church's works, they will be made visible. Not really sure what that means, right? Like, I, I think of, I'm, I was a football coach for a long time, so, like, are we going to, like, sit down and, like, watch film and, like, rewind it and, like, we're like, oh, that was a good work over there. Rewind it. Oh, no, I probably could have done a little better over there. Like, I, I don't know, right? <laughs> Who knows, right? But, but all, all of our works are going to be made visible to us. This, he's speaking in this context to church leaders, which scares the poop out of me, right? <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm scared to death of standing here right now. I'm like, oh boy, this is, this is going to be on the highlight reel. Really. <laughs> but this is for all of us. All of, all of our works are going to be made visible. Every one of us. James chapter 3, verse 1, says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Oh boy. But implied in that verse is that if, we're, if teachers are judged stricter, that implies that we're all going to be judged in some way. So yes, I'm scared to death, but we should all be thinking that way too, every one of us. This is not just a church leader thing. We're all going to sit through the slideshow of the works that we did in the name of Christ. Every one of us. We're going to stand before the Lord, and it's going to be a fiery encounter. We're going to see that in a minute. Christian man, Christian woman, on that day, capital D day, judgment day, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, that Jesus is going to be revealed in fire. He's going to return in fire, and our works are going to be made visible to all of us, every one of us. Right? That's, that's what the word disclose is in the Greek and become manifest. Those, those two Greek phrases are different, but they're synonyms for you're going you're gonna to see it visibly. You're going to visibly see, we're all going to visibly see our works. We're going to know if our work in the name of Christ was built with the right materials or whether it was built with wood, hay, straw. We're going to know that. <clears throat> Step number two of the inspection process. First part, you're going to see your works. They're going to be made visible. Second part of the process, 
end of verse 13. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So I want to paint this full picture here. The Lord's going to return in a flaming fire. All of the works that we have done in his name are going to be visible to us. And then the Lord is going to set all of our works on fire. He's going to light them on fire. And it's going to reveal the quality of our work. That's a sobering thing. To have the Lord Jesus himself light all of your works on fire right there in front of you. That's a fiery test. It's a sobering thing to think about. We put uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and 15 up there. This made me think of the parable of the talents. What did they, if you remember this parable, what, what happened was uh, the master gave talents to three of his servants and he left. And two of the servants, they were faithful and they multiplied what the master left them. But the third worthless servant, what did he do to his? He stuck it in the ground. I want to make a promise to you as much as I can. I'm just one person. We as church leaders here in this church, we promise that we will never put the gospel and God's word in the ground. We will never bury it in the ground. We're going to go and we're going to use it and the Lord's going to multiply it. We believe that. Why? Because that's, that's, what, God, that's what God has told us to do. That's, the, what, that's what Paul built. That's the foundation that he built this church on. We will never put those things in the ground. We will never bury those things, the talents that God has given to the church. That's why we open our Bibles every week and we preach the gospel every week. You know why? This is not a game. This is not a game. This is not fun. We're not playing church here. I'm not going to call out any other churches, but you can go to churches in this area. You know what they're doing? They're playing church. It's not a game. If you guys were here for the vision series and you saw John Wright, you saw his testimony, go ask him if this is a game. Ask him, is this a game? I know you ladies, if you've seen it on Facebook, Misty Pfeiffer, she's got a video of her testimony up on Facebook or some wherever. Go ask her if this is a game. Both of them, they were in places where they almost died, man. God pulled them out of that. This is not a game. We don't get to just bring our wisdom in here and do our own thing. 
That's playing games. We're engaged in spiritual warfare. We're talking about the eternal souls of humans right now. It's not a game. Paul wants this church to be committed to the gospel and to preaching of the word because this is serious. Third point, the results. We have the results. The results are in of the inspection. There are three possible outcomes. The first possible outcome is in verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. The person that has faithfully preached Christ and him crucified and not brought in their own worldly wisdom, they're the ones who are going to be found to be faithful. And they are the ones who will, their work will be done after the fiery test. Their work will still be standing and they will receive a reward for what still remains. So what is this reward? I don't know. We won't, we won't ever know. This side of eternity. First thing that came to my mind is an eternal plate of spaghetti and meatballs. I was like, that's a great reward. That's what I want. I just want a never-ending plate of spaghetti and meatballs. But seriously, though, let me give you a couple options. We put 1 Thessalonians 2, 19... And 20 up there, please. The first, the first possible option is that God will allow us to see the fruit of our labor. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before you, before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you, Thessalonians? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy they got to see they paul believes he is going to get to see this faithful church that he planted that he's it's going to be his glory and his joy on that final day to see their faithfulness and how they built faithfully what a what a treasure that is to be able to see the work that we have done that's one possibility and i think that i think that's for sure i think that's going to happen now, and I want, I want, I want y'all, who, you, you folks who love holding babies in this church, those, those children, if their parents raise them in the Lord, you're going to get to see them hopefully come to know Christ as their Savior. So on that final day, if you, just, if you held babies here in this church for 10 years or 20 years, that's going to be your joy that you get to see that work. There is no work that is too small. That's gospel work. You're holding someone's kid while they're in here hearing the gospel who's going to then go home and raise that child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. 
That's a work. And that work's going to be revealed and you're going to get to see the fruit of your labor. That's incredible. Second possibility. You're just going to get to see the pleasure that the Lord has in you. If you go back to the parable of the talents, the two, the two faithful servants that went and multiplied their talents, what did God say to them? What did the master say to them? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. What an amazing thing that is to see joy in the face of the Lord for the work that you have done for him. Second result, second result of the inspection. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see, this person is a Christian Because we know they're saved. But they've brought some worldly wisdom into the church. They've, they, this is the tickling ear, pastor. Tickling ear, pastor. Or, or, or the, we need to look more like the world, pastor. Or we want to contextualize absolutely everything, pastor. Right? They may be a Christian, but they're bringing other stuff in that is not beneficial to the church. So what is the suffering that this person, what is the loss that this person will suffer? Well, I think it's the opposite of what the reward is. You won't get to see the fruit of your labor. You won't get to see the joy of the Lord in his face when you look at him, when he sees the good work that you have done. And you will have to stand right there and you will have to watch your works go up in flames. That's, that's real. But the good news is we're not saved by our works. We're saved by trusting in Jesus and what he has accomplished on behalf of his people. That's what saves us. Our works, what we do, holding babies, can't save you. Pre preaching. This is not my salvation right now. Many of you prophesied in my name. I never knew you. Right? Our works cannot save us. Only faith in Christ can save us. Right? But there, I want to give a warning here. There may be somebody out there saying, well, you know, uh, well then if my works are just going to maybe get burned up anyways, I'm just going to kind of sit here and wait till my salvation comes and wait till Jesus returns and I'll be good to go. I'm just going to not do anything. Listen, Christians can't, don't think like that. We don't think like that. In chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, you don't think that way. That person is not a believer. If, if somebody just says, hey, I, I punched my get out of hell free card and I'm just gonna do whatever I want now, that person's not a believer. And we see that in the parable of the talents as well. What happened to the last guy who put his talents away and buried it? What happened? 
He was put into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? But he saved as through fire. So I want to picture this. What does it mean he saved through fire? Okay, so Jesus returns on judgment day. He sets all your works on fire. And this man is standing there. And whoa, the fire is creeping closer to him. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. It's at his feet. It's surrounding him. He's now beginning to feel the heat and be burned. And then Jesus reaches into the fire. And at the last second, he pulls them out. Zechariah 3, 2, like a brand plucked from the fire. That's what it means. It means you're going into, I mean, is this guy right here, he's going into heaven with his rear end smoking. Third, third result of the inspection. Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. This is a person that is purposefully leading God's church down the wide path to destruction. Maybe for gain. This is the charlatan. Right? This is the, this is the I'm going to make your leg longer guy. Whatever that. Right? This, this, this is the person that is intentionally leading God's flock down the road to destruction. And this person's end is, him, is himself destruction. He will end in Destruction, apart from faith in Christ and repenting of his sin. So this morning, for Christian, what are you building with? Are you building with the word? Are you building with the gospel? Or are you concerned about worldly wisdom and worldly ideologies and that's what you're focused on? Are, are you distracted from the good materials that we've been given to build God's church? If you've never trusted in Christ this more, so far, I would, I, would, I would beg you, I would implore you, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Come to Jesus this morning. Trust in him. Repent of your sin. Let's pray. God, we need your word. We need it moving from here as well. We need it to, to be in, ingrained and, and entrenched in our hearts. We need it to renew our minds. So as we go from here, would you just implant this word in us? And would it... Would it transform us? I pray for every soul in this place that you would draw them 
to yourself. In Christ's name, amen.